This episode of Stuff You Should Know is brought to you by Squarespace. Whether you need a landing page, a beautiful gallery, a professional blog, or an online store, it's all possible with a Squarespace website. And right now, listeners to Stuff You Should Know can start a free trial today. Just go to squarespace.com and enter the offer code STUFF, and you'll get 10% off your first purchase. Squarespace, set your website apart. Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark, and there's Charles W. Chuck Bryant. And uh, guess who's over there being quiet as a church mouse? The producer who may or may not exist, Jerry. <laughs> do people still think that? I think a few people do. Yeah? She's real. Says you. <laughs> She's real, because I can always smell her miso from here. Oh man, I um so I like avocado a lot, right? Say what? I like avocado a lot. Sure. Like I Who eat doesn't? Basically an avocado a day. Yeah. Um and I normally I make guacamole. As you know, I make probably the best guacamole on the planet. Uh, Sometimes I like my own. Uh, okay. We'll have a guac off one day. Well yeah, but it's personal taste, you know. You know that whole thing, remember? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> taste is absolute. <laughs> um so Sometimes it's just too much to make guac. Sure. Right? That's where avocado toast comes in. Yeah. It's so easy. Yeah. But, and it's totally different too. So if you start to get sick of guacamole, you're like, oh, I have some avocado toast. Anyway, the upshot is, is I recently took antibiotics, which are disgusting poison, but just had to have them this time because my body would not get rid of whatever sure. it had. Um, and so I've been like repopulating my gut flora with fermented stuff like miso. Yeah. Took some miso, put it in uh, some avocado, whipped it up, spread it on some toast. It was great. Wow. And the avocado, being a fibrous uh, vegetable, should be a prebiotic. It will probably provide the conditions for that miso to ripen into some really top-notch gut flora. <laughs> well, I'm grossed out now. Are you really? Yeah. I found that stuff fascinating. Well, that's your gut flora. It's a matter of personal taste, I guess. It's like people like the smell of their own poop. That's not... <laughs> those are two different things. Do you like the smell of your own poop? Sure. It smells great. Really? Yeah. I like all my smells. I gotcha. Do you like ice ages? <laughs> I do. We're in one. Yeah. How can we be in an ice age? It's hottest summer ever. Right. But the climate's not changing. Boy, this summer's been awful. Yeah, supposedly every year we just keep keeps getting hotter and hotter. Yeah. And I like I have a feeling here in Georgia it's gonna be hot into October. I I noticed the change take place today. Oh really? Uh huh. Hmm, not me. I was out there this morning. Let Momo out? Well, yeah. And I was like, oh, it's not muggy. Night Nights are getting cooler. That's where it starts to change. Yeah, but it's still like up in the 90s during the day. Yeah, during is, the day is still kind of nasty. But it feels awful. different to me. Like the air feels different. Yeah, not me yet. Yeah. That that first fall blast I we, haven't experienced yet. Maybe it's seeing like cinnamon brooms and Kroger that's put me in the fall mood already. I'm just noticing it where it's not there. <laughs> Christmas <Who> decorations. <laughs> right. <laughs> Yeah, Halloween stuff's been out since August. Man, just ridiculous. So back to Ice Ages. 
Um, like you said, we are actually in an ice age. To be specific, we are in the Holocene epoch, right? Yes. Which features the Quaternary Ice Age. And specifically, we're in the Flandrian interglacial period. But still, even though it's interglacial, it's still an ice age that we're in. That's a mouthful. It is. Uh, who wrote this? Was this Molly? Molly Edmonds. Our dear old friend. Yes, she, she put out quality. She did. Um, yeah, Molly points out quite astutely that, uh, you know, if you look at Antarctica and Greenland, you still see ice sheets. And, um, ice ages though are, it's not, you know, we don't have to have the entire or a third of the earth covered in ice to be in an ice age. Because within an ice age, there's periods of cooler weather and warmer weather. And right now, you know, glacials and interglacials, respectively. And right now, we're in an interglacial. Right. And that's all it is. But, like I said, when people look around, they don't think of us being in an ice age because we're just during one of those warmer periods. Right. But I think, so I was reading this uh, New Scientist article about, I think it was called The History of Ice on Earth. Yeah. And they said that there are basically three settings that the Earth has. Um, greenhouse, which is basically there's no ice anywhere on Earth. Yeah. Uh, ice house, which is like an ice age glacial period where there is ice. Even like today, there's ice on the, um, Arctic and Antarctic caps, right? Yeah. Um, and then there's a snowball, um, setting. The most fun of all. Which is like the entire planet is frozen over. The least fun of all. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there have been periods of Earth's history where the whole thing was just a giant ball of ice. Yeah. Uh, if we want to talk about the, you know, the, I don't know if you want to call it the big ice age, but when we think of the term ice age, uh, we, most people are probably talking about the one that began about 70,000 years ago, uh, during the Pleistocene era. Lasted about 60,000 years. Uh, and if you're talking about the United States, uh, and the four major glaciations, they hit the Midwest, uh, the Nebraskan, the Kansan, the Illinoisan, and the, the famous Wisconsin glaciation. Yeah, that's the one that just ended, that we just came out of, the Wisconsin one. That's right. And they call them this because that's where they were geographically. Well, that's where the, I think the greatest evidence of them has been discovered. Yeah. Right? So, um, and, th- and all this, it's kind of confusing actually, but just, just the, the current ice age that we're in started 2.58 million years ago, right? Yeah. And again, it's still going. 2.58 million years to present, the quaternary ice age. Um, and so those little other subdivisions have to do with when the ice has been relatively scarce or when it's been all over the place. Right. And then to make it even more slightly confusing, during periods of glaciation, there's even periods where the glaciers retreat and uh, advance. Right. That's stadial and interstadial periods. And those tend to be a little more local uh, and and happen a lot a lot more quickly. And glacial or inter- interglacial period happen on the scale of tens of thousands of years. Yes, that's right. And uh, this is nothing new. Like you said, this has been going on since there was a planet Earth. But um, actually recognizing and and what is an ice age is sort of on the newer front, because in the yeah. old days, you know, they would see a big rock and they would say, boy, that thing looks like it slid down that mountain there because you can see that mountain's all carved up and this rock shouldn't be here. And that's weird. So that was the great flood uh, of, of biblical times. Which we did an episode on. Yeah. That was a good one. And um so that was kind of how things were explained. 
how these things ended up places where they probably did not start out. Yeah, people noticed that there was just weird stuff going on in the geography around them, right? Yeah. Um, but they didn't, they didn't place it correctly until it turns out the Swiss peasantry and some German peasants as well started to notice that their glaciers were receding. Yeah. And as their glaciers receded up there in say the Alps, it, it left some markings that they noticed also the same kind of markings further down the mountain. Yeah. So these Swiss peasants put two and two together and said, you know what? I think the glaciers used to be way, way bigger than they are today. And that maybe that is what explains these boulders that shouldn't be here. Yeah. Being here in the middle of this field. And I guess from what I can gather, it was kind of like common folk wisdom in some areas of like the Swiss Alps long before science understood it. Sure. And it was actually a Swiss uh, geologist who was the first one to advance a genuine bona fide hypothesis for ice ages. Yeah, Louis uh, Agassiz is how I'm going to pronounce that. And um, he, in 1837, presented um, his ideas about this glacial activity at a conference, a science <laughs> conference. Right. And everyone was like, eh, <laughs> we, I don't know. I don't know about you. I don't know about that. Right. Well, they did know about him. He was he was a smart guy. Right. He was established, but they're like, you're just go back to your opium. Pretty much. He, he and apparently his his first theory was that there there had been an ice age. It happened like very quickly. Yeah, he was off by the basically bit. like night and day. Yeah. Uh, and and that um, it had followed a catastrophe, right? Yeah. I wonder if he would have. That seems like the one thing that might have put them off was that how it, unlikely that sounded. Right. Because he was wrong. Yeah. Like, I wonder if he would have just said, it happened slowly over time. Let's say. Yeah, they may have said, like, oh, well, I'm not, I'm not buy that then. He, he's presenting his finding, and he's like, what do you guys want to hear? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll massage it in that way. Yeah, it happened overnight, and they all just crossed their arms. He goes, or. Right, overnight, <laughs> over a very long period of time. Uh, so before him, though, um, quite a few years before him, there was a, a Scotsman. Oh, yeah? Born in Edinburgh. Edinburgh. Buried at Greyfriars Kirkyard. Wow. Which, did you ever go there? I walked past it. I never made it in. Okay. Well, my hotel was right there, so I, I walked through it. Mm-hmm. Amazing, amazing cemetery. I went to Mary King's Close instead, which is pretty awesome, too. Oh, you you had to go to one or the other? Right. <laughs> They're close to each other. Yeah, they were. Um, There's only so much time in the day off. Not close enough? No. <laughs> uh, 1785, a man named James Hutton, uh, and man, this guy was, he was a stud, uh, the, the father of geology. He had this idea that he, he was one of the first people to look around and say, you know what? The earth is always changing. Right. Like if you look around and pay attention. Look at it. That bird just died. Yeah. You know, like he might sit for days and look and wait for something to move. (laughs) (laughs) But he said, the earth is constantly changing, and I have an idea that it's probably always been this way. So if we look at what's going on now, and we apply that to the past, Mm -hmm. we might come up with some pretty interesting stuff here. Right. Yeah, he he said that there's basically clues to the past in the present. Yeah, just like, look what's going on around you. This might have happened 10,000 years ago as well, and that might explain something like, 
that boulder being someplace different. Exactly. And we keep going to the boulders, but the boulders are actually some really, really high quality evidence for ice ages in general. Sure. Um, there's, there, there's actually a term for it among people who study ice ages. They're called erratics. And an erratic is a very, very heavy boulder, way too heavy to have been moved by humans. Yeah. Um, that is also too far from its point of origin to just say roll downhill. Right. It doesn't make any sense that it's there. Yeah. Which is why it's called an erratic. And there's some very famous ones. Um, there's one in the Swiss Alps. Uh, well, I'm sure there's many, but there's one in particular this article mentions. It's in the Swiss Alps that is, um, about 50 miles from its point of origin. Yeah. There's one in Central Park. That is uh, many miles away from its point of origin in New Jersey. Yeah. It moved, tried to make it in the big city. It was a bridge and tunnel boulder. Right. Yeah. So, and that's actually one of the, one of the ways the um, Germans figured out that there was such a thing as Ice Age because they said, see that boulder there in that field? I'm pretty sure that's Scandinavian rock. Yeah. And uh, sure enough, they were correct. And so you start to put all this stuff together, huge boulders being moved, Um uh, valleys between mountains carved out in a U shape rather than that telltale V shape that a, a river carves out. Sure. Um, these are clues. They're not, well, they are erratics, but right. they're clues into the past. Yeah. The, when you start to, to put all of them together, the only thing that, that really explains them is huge, massive movements of glaciers, glacial movement. Yeah. And, and when you study that stuff, and you look at these grooves and you study the boulders, you can actually make calculations. Right. And it's amazing that way back then they were able to make these calculations. Uh, Agassiz, uh, in particular and some other guys got together and they said that the, the present ice age at its peak, I guess, um, was about a mile thick of a glacier, a mile of right. ice. Yes. It's amazing. Yeah. Um, and f- further studies have concluded that in the last ice age, um, I guess the Wisconsin glaciation. Yeah. Um, the, the, about a third of the earth was covered in glaciers. Yeah. Have we said what a glacier is yet? I mean, it almost goes without saying, but just in case. Yeah. It's just really densely packed snow. It is. And it's snow that, that isn't allowed to melt. It's, it's cold enough so that it never fully melts. So yeah. at the base, it forms to ice. Yep. And on top, you've got more and more snow, and as more and more snow doesn't melt, the ice builds up thicker and thicker. Yeah. And just from the sheer force of these things, mass, encountering gravity, they can actually move. They're like very slow, most of the time, very slow-moving rivers of ice Yeah. on a massive scale. Yeah, and, and well, we'll get to that later. I was going to tease something out. Okay. Uh, should we take a quick break? Yes. All right, we'll take a break, and we'll... Uh, Get back to a little more amazing glaciers. All right, so we've talked about the sheer size, a mile, a mile thick of ice. Yeah, and I said uh, like a, a third th- of the Earth. I think it covered 17 million square miles of the planet during the last glaciation. Cubic miles, my friend. Cubic miles, right? So that junk is deep. Yeah, a mile deep, man. That is nuts. Uh, so Antarctica had about 10 percent more ice than it does now, and the big, 
change, the big difference, uh, what sets that ice age apart was the amount of activity in the northern hemisphere. It was very unusual to have the amount of ice in North America and right. Europe, uh, extending down like through the Midwest of the United States. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was, it was a new scene, a new chilly scene. Yeah. A whole new jam, basically. It was. And Chuck, I mean, like, it was largely in North America, but this also um, really covered a lot of Europe, too. I mean, like, Ireland was covered, Germany was covered, Scandinavia was covered by ice, and uh, basically everything that wasn't covered by ice in Europe was a tundra, very much like Siberia is today. I actually, I saw a documentary on, I think it was a History Channel show, about the last ice age, and... um Somebody figured out how much all of that ice weighed. Are you ready for this? A bazillion pounds. This might be more than a bazillion. 68,000 trillion tons was the total weight of the ice. On the earth? On the earth during the last ice age. Uh, During the last glacier. How many Big Macs is that? I have no idea. It's like more than 100. (laughs) Uh, Well, in North America alone, about 13, um, I'm sorry, about 10 million square miles of ice. And, you know, this all came from the ocean, which means the ocean level was hundreds and hundreds of feet lower during this ice age. Yeah, like Canada's used to having large parts of it being covered by glacier. Sure. The United States is not used to this. But it came all the way down into the plains in some cases. And basically from New York over to Washington State, totally covered by, again, a mile thick uh, sheet of ice. Yeah. Like, you can ice skate on that without worry. Yeah. You're not going to fall through. <laughs> right. It's not going to crack. Did you ever do that growing up? Did Ohio, like oh, in yeah. Toledo? Mm-hmm. Like, you'd skate on lakes? Yeah. And, my, and we were never me. allowed to do that until my dad went out and stomped on it, like uh-huh. jumped up and down. And if he didn't go through, then we were allowed to skate. <laughs> He's like, kids, if I die, right. it wasn't, don't skate. <laughs> it wasn't the most foolproof technique, but yeah. it was nice of dad to do that for us. Uh, I don't know. I think I, I'm not much of a worry wart, but I'm. That still would have, like, creeped me out. I've well, seen enough movies, you know, right. trapped well, under ice. So the Maumee River would freeze over, but we weren't allowed to skate on the river. Some people did. We weren't allowed to. Yeah. Instead, there was a golf course with ponds that would freeze pretty good. Pretty good. Right. There was, you're, you weren't going to fall through these small ponds. It, the it ice is pretty, uh, cold. pretty rough, though, right? Like skating on it? It's not like an ice rink, is it? It depends on, and I don't remember what it depended on. Yeah, it's, it's never like an ice rink. Right. But... Certain type of weather, maybe non-windy weather, I think is what it was. Gotcha. Because then, like, if there was kind of like a choppiness to it from the wind, right, it could freeze like that, freeze choppy. Yeah. Whereas if it wasn't windy, I would guess it would it would be smoother. So sometimes it was pretty smooth. Other times you're like, I can't even skate on. But this. your dad would drive a zamboni out there and pick, <laughs> fix it all up, smooth it over. <laughs> and if the zamboni didn't fall through, then we were allowed to skate right. on. Right. I just pictured the Zamboni falling through, but it's a little pond, so your dad's still like just above. He's just like knee, yeah. knee deep. <laughs> I feel like I missed out, though. I mean, not that oh, my you did. life is over. You can still skate on ponds. Oh, it is. I don't picture myself going to uh, Minnesota in the in the winter yeah, just the, to give it a try. The trade off, it wasn't it wasn't a very good trade off. Yeah, because the winters are pretty brutal. Yeah, like if you have local ponds that freeze over, you're cold too. Sure, I still feel like I missed out. Yeah, you're fine. It wasn't that big of a deal. I was just teasing when I said you did miss out. Uh, all right. So people are skating all over the world. A third of the world people are ice skating on during, during the ice age. Right. 
Um, and like we mentioned, these things, um, uh, they've been described as bulldozers just plowing through, uh, the earth basically, um, leaving large swaths. They call it glacial till, mm-hmm. this, uh, debris that they leave behind. And these are, you know, once you figure out how it works, the evidence is everywhere right. of, of exactly what happened. Yeah, because as these glaciers move and that ice that has formed the basis of the glacier is in contact with the earth below it, it's picking up all sorts of crud, that, all oh, that yeah. debris, that glacial till you said, erratic boulders. And as it's doing this, it's actually creating a um, a scrubbing mechanism, right? So like you said, if you look around at uh, mountains and and in valleys yeah. with exposed rock that were um, rubbed by glaciers, mm-hmm. there's going to be crazy grooves worked into them. Yeah, some of them look like roads almost. Yes. Um, some are kind of polished and rounded. Yeah. And it's all from this glacial activity rubbing stuff over the tops of these mountains. It's, yeah. It's pretty interesting stuff. And then other things like you'll know, you know, you'll see like a movie where um, this incredibly beautiful uh, like river valley. Yeah. Has this gravel everywhere, like just scattered all all throughout, like the the valley floor. Yeah, that's not supposed to be there. Right, a glacier deposited that. That's right. It's more evidence of the ice age. Yeah, that's interesting to think of. It's not supposed to be there. No, and you think of that like but that's what that's what that looks like. You know, of course, yeah. that's what it's that that's it's supposed to be there. But no, it's technically not. Had we not had um, these glaciation events, that stuff wouldn't be there. Isn't that fascinating? It is. Earth science. Uh, is that your favorite science? I think it's become it. Yeah. Yeah. It really does get me jazzed. Yeah. All right. So it wasn't just um, the, the direct path of these glaciers that was affected. Out on the uh, edges of these massive moving sheets of ice, mm-hmm. um, you had things like Arctic deserts. And you had uh, these big areas of uh, dusty wind, uh, and there's actually a few ways to pronounce this, L-O-E-S-S. Mm-hmm. I heard everything from Lois to Lowes to Less. Mm. I like Lois. Yeah, I like Lois too. Um, covering all over the earth, basically, and this is created by those glaciers just like grinding into the earth. Yeah. Um, stirring everything up. Right. And then the wind just comes and picks it up. These, the finest of the particles and just deposits them. So in some places you had, so if, if your area wasn't covered by a glacier, yeah. that didn't mean you weren't affected by the glaciation. Oh no. Because you would have these lowest deserts, or, or glacier, glacial deserts that yeah. formed. And in some places the lowest was like 20 feet thick. And apparently it's still there. In much of the Midwest, the substrate below the soil mm-hmm. is lowest deposited from these lowest deserts. Yeah. Um, and so you would think when you hear about this kind of activity that it had to be like 100 degrees chillier. Right. Or 50 or 40 even. But it was only about 10 degrees Fahrenheit, about 5.6 Celsius lower uh, than temperatures now, mm-hmm. which it's it wouldn't think that that would be enough. Right. But it's not all just about the temperature. That's kind of the point. No, the, the, the point that Molly makes is that it's not like, oh, it's just so much colder than it was before all yeah. the time. The, the key to a, an ice age um, forming glaciers, a glacial period, is that this, the time when it's supposed to actually melt 
is colder than usual. That's right. So that there's less melt than, than before. And the less melt you have, the more chance you have for snow to fall and make up for whatever melted and actually add to it, which yeah. means that the glacier's growing. As long as more snow is added to the glacier than it loses during, say, the summer months, yeah. your glacier's growing. Yeah, and if it's not losing much, it doesn't take much snow. And this this cycle starts. There's something called uh, albedo or albedo. Albedo. And it's uh, it's the re- reflectivity of ice. And right. you know, once this ice gets going... It's reflecting away the sun, so. It's why you're hotter in the summer wearing a black t-shirt than a white t-shirt. Yeah, and it's just, it creates that cycle basically where it's all just compounding. All these different elements coming together. Absolutely. To make ice super thick. So you have, if you have a glacier form on planet Earth and it reflects a bunch of sunlight and makes it colder, well that's gonna create the conditions for other glaciers to form too. So it has a compounding effect as well that albedo does. All right, well, let's take a break, and we're going to come back and talk about a very famous Serbian mathematician. Right, so I said famous Serbian mathematician. Did, had you already heard of this guy? Yeah, really. I'd he- I'd heard about the Milankovitch cycles. Nice. Um, so his name was Milutin Milankovic, and it's amazing to me that in the 1920s, people like, well, I'll just say him, was able to figure out right uh, with a lot of accuracy um, the Milankovitch cycles. Basically, he said, you know what. I have a theory on why the, these these summers are cooler and why this ice age happened. Mm-hmm. And it's not just the temperatures, but it's because of the sun's relationship to the earth mm-hmm. and how much sun the earth is getting uh, during the summer months. Right. So he came up with three different factors, uh, the tilt uh, in the earth's axis, uh, the way the earth wobbles on that axis, and then how close we are to that heat, how close we are to the sun. Right. He plugged those into a mathematical formula, and he came up with every 22,000, 41,000, and 100,000 years, he's predicting that we're going to get these ice ages. Right. Pretty amazing math for back then. It is, especially if you go back. So he figured this out, and then they they went back and looked at the, the fossil record, the geological record, because when he was working... They didn't have this understanding. He oh, wasn't no. like proving that, oh, like, yes, He's this predicting. is how. Right. Yeah. So then, um, about that time in like the, f- well, after that time, but in like the forties and fifties, the U.S. was building army bases all over the world in some really crazy places, including the Arctic. And, um, some scientists went along and started taking core samples from those places. Yeah. And they found air bubbles trapped in there. That were from like a million years ago. Like the air was a million years old and it was untouched virgin air. And um, they found that they could do all sorts of stuff and learn all sorts of things from this air. And one of the things they found was the basically the, the time stamp for the ice ages during the quaternary period. Yeah. And they found out that in the first two million years, the first two thirds of the quaternary um, ice age, the 
Ice Age's glaciation occurred every 41,000 years. Yep. And he just sat back and was like, yeah, yeah, that's and what I said. He's like, but wait for it. Yeah. And they said, <laughs> okay, in this, this most recent million years, it switched to 100,000 years. Uh-huh. And he just had his arms crossed. Yep. Very smugly. Yeah. Um, and uh, everybody said, that's amazing. That's fantastic. Scientists, you guys in the lab coats, what causes an ice age? Yeah. And there's just crickets coming back from the scientists. Yeah. And there still is today, actually. Actually, no, that's the opposite is true. Not crickets, but a ton of different answers and a ton of different theories. Yeah. Lots of crickets. Right. But not quite either. What would be the animal that would... Talking crickets. Jiminy crickets. Sure. Everywhere. Man, that, that guy was annoying. Putting forth uh, putting forth uh, theories. And, and as with most things, we usually kind of center on, I bet it was like most of these things mm. put together, which most scientists do. Well, dude, I was thinking about this and I was like, yes, chaos theory. Yeah. Like we have such a propensity as humans to be like, there's one true explanation. There's one factor that right. explains everything. And that is just not the case. No. This is a perfect example of that. I wonder if that's a tendency for humans to want to be right. Like the people actually doing the research say like, no, this is my idea is the right. one. Right. Yeah. I think that's part of it. But I think it's more just like our brains are wired to find like the least common denominator yeah. to find um the easiest route. Yeah, maybe. You know, just for efficiency's sake. That makes sense. I kind of like the idea of like I'm I'm hands across America. Did you participate in Hands Across America? No, I hated it back then, but Oh now man, I'm all I did. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I think I did actually. Yeah. I there were like huge this... huge gaps, but it was still pretty great. Uh we should do a show on that. Okay. I didn't know there were gaps. Of course there were. Oh yeah. Pretty, pretty big ones. Yeah. It was at no point complete. <laughs> I think our school did it. Wasn't that the deal? Like, uh, church. probably did it through this. Oh, church. Church. Hippie church. I don't know if my, my church might have been like, no, we're not holding hands. You could be holding hands with an atheist. <laughs> yeah, probably so. <laughs> you wouldn't even know it. That probably would have been the case. Uh, <laughs> all right. So another theory is, um, we've talked a lot about plate tectonics in our, uh, geez, in the volcano episodes and, Oh, what else? The plate tectonics episode. Did we do one on that specifically? I think so. Among the n- close to 900 episodes. Man, I don't remember where it first popped up, but it's definitely come up quite popped a bit. Popped up. Another one of your non-pun puns. Y- yes. I hope I'm like creating a, a pretty, a pretty extensive case for the fact that all of my puns are accidental. Yeah. I don't think like that. Accidental puns, a good band name too, ironically. It's okay. Uh, so plate tectonics is another theory. Basically, you know, everyone knows when you get to a, a higher altitude, it's going to be colder and the conditions are more likely to, to, for glaciers to form. And so when these, these, uh, plates on the earth are smashing together, mm-hmm. everyone uh, also knows from listening to our show, that's how we get these lovely mountain ranges and why there are higher altitudes. Right. So that's another theory that that had a lot to do with it. Yeah, they, makes sense. The, some scientists lay um, the Quaternary Ice Age, the whole shebang, this uh-huh. two point five eight million year old ice age that we're in in still, um, basically at the feet of the creation of the Himalayas, where yeah. Asia and India collide, creating the Himalayas and more, most importantly the Tibetan Plateau. Yeah, and this rising of land changing um the way that air moves across this huge portion of land, Eurasia. Yeah. Um 
and that it had an impact on climate, which has an impact on uh, historical climate, which can change things, make things cold enough so that glaciers can form and really get a, a foothold, right? Yeah. More interesting, Chuck, is that it's apparently that's, they're like, that's probably kind of a factor, but there's an even bigger factor that they think that came out of that upwelling of, of Earth. Yeah. Bear with me. So when Earth meets Earth and there's an upwelling and they form mountains or something like that, right? Yeah. You know the process of weathering? Yeah. It's like breaking in genes or a Stradivarius, right? You break <laughs> in mountains too. Yeah. Well, that's actually a chemical reaction between like the air and the Earth. Yeah. And when rock is exposed, it becomes weathered because CO2 reacts with the rock to basically form some sort of um, uh, equilibrium that's been interrupted or disrupted by the exposure of unweathered rock, right? right? Well, to carry that out, CO2 has to be drawn from the atmosphere, which means you're basically removing CO2 from the atmosphere when you create a new mountain mountain chain. And if you're talking about a mountain chain as extensive as the Himalayas, a lot of CO2 is going to be removed from the atmosphere. When you remove CO2 from the atmosphere, you reduce the greenhouse effect. And when you reduce the greenhouse effect, the earth becomes cooler possibly enough for an ice age. The yeah. timing's right as well. The Himalayans formed right before the Quaternary Ice Age began. Yeah. Isn't that amazing? It is. Earth science. Uh, the other thing is uh, dust, uh, atmospheric changes. Um, a lot of dust in the air is going to keep the sun from shining down its warmth onto the earth and uh, keep temperatures cooler. And uh, since I mentioned volcanoes, um, there were a lot of, uh, volcanoes, a lot of activity that preceded the glacial ages. Um, you know, launching a lot of dust in the air. I don't think it's coincidence. Right. It's probably all tied in together. Yeah. I, I would guess that, um, and it's the, not just volcanic ash. I mean, there was just dust period, but the volcanic ash added to it, you know. Right. And I think even after, um, after the volcanoes stop erupting gases that affect the atmosphere directly, they still interact with the water vapor in the atmosphere to mess with it in a continued way. Yeah. Um, sunspots are also another one too, right? Yeah, that's one of the the main reasons for the Little Ice Age, right? Yeah. That we talked about in the Stradivarius. Yeah. Episode. The little ice age. Um, so did you, did you see that article I sent you? Yeah. I picked through it. It was pretty, pretty interesting. Um, but there's a, our understanding of the, the little ice age, which is not the best name for it, but there's a period it should from, be Lil Ice Age, L I L apostrophe. There's a, the, from 1300 to 1850, Europe in particular, well, the northern hemisphere, but Europe got it pretty bad. Yeah. Um, it was basically what amounts to an ice age. Yeah. For, for this area. Um, Greenland and Iceland were cut off by ice for months at a time. They used to grow wine in England. Not anymore. Scotland. They grew wine? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like bottles would just pop up out of the ground. It's amazing. The highlands of Scotland would be locked into ice at like 1,200 meters and up. Yeah, the Baltic Sea froze over. Yeah, the canals in the Netherlands routinely froze. It yeah. was It was a really rough time. Well, it... it wasn't it wasn't it's pretty interesting because this article you sent you know points out a lot of the history that you know it, it it affected everything from shipping to crops to 
you know, people turning on one another in yeah. some areas, right. then other areas things flourished. Right. So apparently areas and groups that had access to extensive trade networks, especially with yeah. the south or the tropics. Makes sense. Um, they, they flourished. But if you were in like a marginal area, say like the Alps, you were toast. Yeah. Like you suffered from famine. Apparently glaciers were advancing enough that they were just overrunning towns. That's nuts. And it sounds, it sounds absolutely nuts, but actually glaciers can move surprisingly fast, right? There was a glacier in Alaska in 1986 that was clocked advancing at 180 miles an hour at 10 meters a day. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's 30 feet a day. That's, yeah. you can watch that happen. Yeah. Or at the very least, you could set up your, uh, your, intervalometer camera and watch it later sure or if you're just super patient yeah i bet uh what's his name that dude yeah the scotsman i bet james hutton would have sat there and until he saw oh yeah you know yeah patient man uh what else did we cover the sunspots no well not yeah i mentioned that that might have been why the little ice age happened and by the way we on the stradivarius Mm -hmm. podcast heard from a lot of people about this double blind study that um uh, where where they had musicians play um the strads and uh then against modern violins and um they preferred i think generally preferred the modern violin more right so people are like oh you're just getting the brand name that's kind of a reductive way to say it yeah um and and then afterward to the violinist they served him coffee and they're like it's folgers <laughs> well the other thing we heard from <laughs> other people that said these violinists know what they're testing. They're mm-hmm. testing, clearly testing a Stradivarius against a modern <laughs> instrument. They don't just say, like, put on this blindfold and here's two violins. Sure. And which one smells neater? Yeah. So we probably should have included that, but I, I don't think that, like, settles it in any, like, scientific way or anything. Yeah, I'm, I, I saw in our research that that was not necessarily the case. Yeah. I saw in a number of um, different sources that... That they can tell a difference that it is actually the the best violins well, ever made. And still. these are people that have you know opinions. It's not like you can't scientifically prove that. Yeah. Because every person you you pick out is going to have a different take on the matter. And we weren't poo pooing modern instruments because clearly there are only a handful of strads out there being played, and there's like six hundred many many orchestras, and they're not playing like pawn shop violins, pawn shop fiddles. No. You know. So anyway, I just wanted to mention that. So these sunspots, right? Yeah. There's actually a, a cycle that was recognized by a British astronomer named E.W. Maunder. Yeah. It's a pretty British name. And he was living during the Little Ice Age. Um, and he noticed that it was cold. Yeah. He was like, holy cow, it's cold. You can ice skate on a pond. Um, he, he noticed that the, so the Little Ice Age should actually be called the, little period where it was pretty cold and then really, really cold in two different points. Yeah. And those points were between 1290 and 1500 and then 1645 and 1715. It was really cold, like kind of Ice Age-ish conditions for real. Um, and uh, E.W. Maunder noticed that especially the time when he was alive during this between the 1645 and 1750 period, 1715 period, um, sunspots were not nearly as active. Yeah. And he was like, I wonder if this correlates to Little Ice Ages. And it would make sense, even though it makes sense in a really weird way, a roundabout way, actually. Yeah, sunspot, uh, I guess we should just say what that is. It's a dark spot, a cooler spot uh, on the sun. But the key there is it contains magnetic energy. So 
you would think that sunspots are cooler than the rest of the sun, so how would that well, wait, now I've got it backwards. No, you got it. Yeah, yeah. So how would that keep it warmer on Earth? Right. But it's about that magnetic field cutting through cloud cover or cutting the cloud cover. Right. So less cloud cover means that the heat from the sun isn't trapped. It just escapes into space. Yeah. Counterintuitive. Yeah. But it makes sense. Yeah, because these sunspots are big enough that when it's facing Earth, yeah, it, it it's putting out less heat energy. Yeah. So you would think it would it would directly cool it. It indirectly cools it. Right. Weird. It is weird. But amazing. Earth science. Uh, so th- whether or not we're headed for another one is a lot. Uh, there's a lot of debate on that because <clears throat> some people say, well, w- there's no strict definition even. Right. What an ice age is. So who's to say? Other people say, no, you know what? Humans have caused uh, such an impact here that they're probably won't be another ice age. Yeah, it's extremely possible that we have altered the climate enough that we're not going to see, like we may have ended on our own the quaternary ice age. Yeah. It may be over now or on the way to being over, in which case we have a whole other set of problems to deal with, but not an ice age, not glaciers. Right. (laughs) Um, There was actually a study that made the rounds, I think this year or last year, that really drummed up a lot of media attention because these researchers said that they predicted a period of very low sunspot activity in 30 years. Because we're due for one technically, right? We're at that 10,000 year point. Yes. Yeah. We're due for another glaciation event. Yeah. And these people said, well, there's going to be sunspots in 30 years. And the media took it and said, there's going to be another ice age in 30 years. Yeah. Um, And that's not necessarily the case. It's a pretty big leap from saying, yes, there's low sunspot activity, so we're going to have a, a an ice age. Right. But if we hadn't burned all those fossil fuels, maybe that would be the case. Maybe we would start to see glaciation beginning again in about 30 years. Again, we're probably not going to because we've raised the temperature of the planet by a, a full degree Celsius since 1980. Yeah. Um, so it's possible we won't ever see an ice age again, which is sad because some people say that it was this last, um, this ice age, not just the last glaciation event, but the quaternary ice age as a whole that pushed humans to evolve to the wonderful, amazing specimens we are today. Yeah. Um, maybe. a lot of our, advancements happened because of it. Right. Adaptations and animals and early humans. There were, there was movement among, uh, around earth because the sea levels were a lot lower. So you could make your way around bigger parts of the earth. They weren't cut off like before or yeah. like they are now. Um, apparently our brains grew tremendously in size during the quaternary ice age oh, yeah? at a t- in a time period that correlates with it. And one hypothesis is that the cooler temperatures allowed us to dissipate heat more naturally oh. and to save our energy or use more energy, which would allow our brains to grow. Interesting. And then other people say, well, you know what? The Cro-Magnons also invented the sewing needle during sure. this time because of the warm. Ice Age so that they could start sewing. Yeah. And clothes is the technology that allowed us to truly spread out over the earth. Yeah. Because you could go live where it was cold. Yep. Because you could make a big parka out of a musk ox. Exactly. Then musk ox would say, thank you for using me, <laughs> human. I don't know about that, but you got anything else? Nope. I think that's it, man. This is Good one, Chuck. Uh, if you want to know more about Ice Ages, 
You can type those words into the search bar at HowStuffWorks.com. And since I said search bar, it's time for listener mail. Uh, remember in the animal testing episode when I wondered aloud about the names of pork and beef and swine and oh, yeah. all that stuff? I'm glad you're covering this. Apparently, I'm the only person on the planet who did not know this. I didn't know it either. Because we had a bunch of people write in, uh, and it's super interesting. So I picked one that was a good explanation from uh, a, a gentleman in Bristol, United Kingdom. Nice. And he said this, uh, Before 1066 in England, most people spoke a form of Germanic English. Uh, and he says, by the way, I'm glossing over several centuries of linguistic history with that. Uh, however, after the invasion by William the Conqueror and his eventual coronation, Norman became the dominant language. Uh, Norman is based on northern French dialects, so would have used words such as mutton and boeuf for sheep and cows. These words were used by people who would have been able to afford uh, to eat such food, namely the gentry. Uh, however, peasants who would have raised, uh, raised the animals still use the Germanic words like sheep and cow, and these words stuck. Uh, English is full of high and low words, gentry or peasantry, for similar meanings, uh, with the high words being French-based, therefore Latin-based. Really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, having to stop myself from going on is just a subject I've always been obsessed with, and I hope that I have piqued your interest as well. Uh, be warned, the subject is a rabbit hole. I will also add I was gutted to miss your UK tour, <laughs> and I uh, hope you enjoyed it enough to come back one day. Sure. Um, I'll also cheekily plug Bristol as an amazing place to live and visit. Yeah, congratulations on your new Sky Pier. I haven't heard of that. It's like a it's like a huge observation UFO that goes up on their coast. You can just see for miles and miles. Interesting. Uh, much love to you both, and thanks for doing what you do. Cheers. That is from Matt Galliford of Bristol. Thanks, Matt. We'll definitely be back. And thanks to everyone who wrote in with that good information. I wish I could have read them all. <laughs> uh, if you want to get in touch with us to let us know something we missed or to tell us how great we're doing or, well, yeah, uh, you can tweet to us at SYSK Podcast. You can also hang out with me at Josh underscore um underscore Clark at, uh, on Twitter too. You can hang out with Chuck at Charles W. Chuck Bryan on Facebook or our Stuff You Should Know page at Facebook.com slash Stuff You Should Know. You can hang out with us on Instagram. You can send us an email to stuffpodcast at howstuffworks.com. And as always, join us at our home on the web, stuffyoushouldknow.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. 